everybody, welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero. We are going to be joined by Namanya Zivkovich. He's the founder and CEO of Funky Marketing. Today we're going to be talking about lots of things related to marketing, um, doing things unconventionally, uh, which is one of my favorite things because I like to do that as well. They, uh, so let me tell you a little bit about Funky Marketing really quick. A company that combines research and strategy with creatives to help B2B tech companies develop demand for the way buyers buy now. B2B marketing done differently with a bit of funk. He's also the host of another podcast called Funk, Funky Marketing Show and co-founder of the NS Business Talks, a professional networking community gathering 700 business professionals in Novi Sad and a big fan of Motown, GTA, and funky music in general. Manha um, it has a decade of work in marketing and business development and advanced experience in creating successful marketing strategies, achieving goals, and building high-performance teams for international and domestic clients for many industries and niches. Stay tuned for an awesome episode about marketing. Hey to all of our listeners out there, this month's sponsor of Spamming Zero is High Operator. We had Liz Sai, who is their CEO, on our podcast just a few weeks ago. If you haven't checked that out, make sure you do that. It's amazing. Great episode. We can talk about customer service agents. We talk about lifetime value. Talk about a lot. So who's High Operator? I'm going to read directly from the website that High Operator has. This is a beautiful statement. I love what Liz says here. Customer service is a core pillar of most businesses. It's also one of the hardest parts of the business to scale. Hiring is time-consuming, training is time-consuming, and volume varies by season. And documentation is constantly in flux. All true. Agree 100%. They started High Operator to make delivering customer service easy. Our mission is to help companies deliver excellent, scalable customer service effortlessly. Our clients can focus on their products and services, and their customers get a great experience when they need help. High Operator provides a complete customer service as a service solution. Through the power of High Operator's human plus AI technology, client conversations are handled faster and more accurately. The end result, they deliver amazing customer service, making companies and their customers happy. That's why they exist. That came directly from Liz. Here's some other fun little stuff that I really like that they do. Some value add here, right? So train us once. We handle all the recruiting, hiring, and training moving forward. Never have to deal with another classroom retaining or headcount headaches. High operate. They say this. Send us conversations. Send us tickets. We pull the tickets automatically from your preferred CRM. And then you have full control over how and when those tickets are used. Another one, paper resolution. This is something we do at Flip as well. Charge for the conversation that we actually solve. Um, no onboarding fees. No hourly rates. Pay for what you use. This is High Operator. They're this month's sponsor. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spamming Zero. Welcome to the show, Namanja. Thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. Namanja, we like to do, we're very unconventional on this podcast, which is kind of actually what we want to talk about today. When it comes to marketing, um, that's something that I'm a big believer in and being unconventional and don't do the traditional stuff that everyone is doing. Otherwise, you're just part of noise. So let's let's uh, let's start with like, first of all, like you you run a company called Funky Marketing. 
talk to us a little bit about it. Talk to us a little bit about why you decided to lean all the way in to funky marketing. It all started with, uh, I think, uh, with my background, which is in uh, informal education, working with you, those kind of stuff, when I learned to kind of focus on the value and then the money will follow. And it was hard then to, you know, turn things around. But when I actually turned them around, then I realized I can sell anything, right? And it, then it gets, it gets easier. Uh, so I specialize in performance marketing, been on that side of the thing. And it was always like, you know, automation works while you sleep, right? But what I found, <laughs> what I found out it another truth, and it is that it works also until you have the budget, right? Until you have the money. When you don't have the money, it doesn't work. Then you need brands, then you need content, then you need other stuff. Uh, so um, after working in multiple agencies and uh, involved in startups in different roles, basically I founded Funky Marketing. Uh, to do something on my own and uh, to basically try to get marketing to where it belongs when people are actually doing marketing and marketing is doing what it should be doing. Basically, uh, what where we are now at, at the point where we can say that we focus on strategy and research and add creativity to that to help uh, B2B tech companies create demand for the way B2B buyers buy now, which is a lot different from what I just told you that I found out in 2019 <laughs> and, uh, you know, 2020, it all changed for like in like scope of three years. Uh, I think internet matured and now the way we buy has changed. And so I help companies realize that, figure out how to measure, how to differentiate and how to actually create demand for, uh, for their products and services. You just unpacked a very important thing that I think people, people oftentimes get caught in this trap of doing things the same way they've always been done. Um, because they get caught in that trap because it's what's worked and they hear about it and they hear other people that it's worked for them. And so like, we're going to try that. Right. Um, but oftentimes they're already a year too late or maybe even two years too late. And marketing changes so much that you you have to be dynamic. And that's what I love that you said is like, you've learned one thing when you were doing your research and talking to all these people and then realized, wow, we have to actually shift and change it a little bit because that's not gonna work anymore. B2B uh, marketing, it needs to learn from some of the some of the things that have worked historically for B2C. Um, and oftentimes they're just seen as like two completely different worlds. And I just, I, I love that because I do, I do think that it changes too often for us to get stuck into like the mentality of doing things just to do them. Um, and I, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about some of the maybe unique ideas that you and your team have, have come to the surface with, with that for, for companies and maybe some results that you've seen. Um, give us some of those ideas. Talk to us about wh what you've seen that's been more of the funky side of marketing work. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you one, uh, which is quite simple that we did for ourselves first. Uh, and it's kind of interesting in the, by the end of the first year, like five of us from the company were all over LinkedIn, like generating, I think in that year, like 50 million impressions from all our profiles together and uh, with all the LinkedIn influencers, uh, you know, 
those kind of lists, we were no, nowhere near. And it's not only the impressions, like we actually closed uh, a lot of companies, a lot of accounts. And the thing uh, that we said, okay, let's, let's instead of, uh, you know, writing a post how lists are uh, shit, let's create our own list. So we created a funky list. I asked people from our company, like, who are the 10 people from LinkedIn that you are following that are giving you value? And then I used the average and we got around, I think, 20 people who were uh, on the funky marketing list. We published the lists, so uh, a lot of them actually added on their profiles like funky marketing influencer or something like that. I don't know what it's what it was, uh, <laughs> but um, we have done the podcast episode with them. Uh, that was the start of the funky marketing show, the podcast. We then used that content to establish relationships with them, and then it was basically the source of the content for the whole year. Because uh, we we did articles, we we did video, we did audio, we got chop it up into three to eight smaller pieces, then some visuals, you know. And basically, I like to say that things are always more simpler than we think, and we can get repurpose them until the end of time. So, uh, and that was the starting foundation for a lot of things because it showed us how we can do some, some of the stuff also for the clients. Like one of the examples, uh, that I can say is like the FinTech company here, one of the, one of the biggest in Serbia, like FinTech, you know, how is like the stiff industry. You cannot do everything. Very regulated. Yeah. You need to have strict yes and strict no, and you can operate in between. So, uh, for that company, we found out that, uh, in between are the, the CEO's channel and the CMO's channel. Actually, it was the same person who was the CEO and CMO kind of, uh, so, uh, we said, let's bring their personality and showcase it, uh, on LinkedIn with their profiles and then kind of get distraction. They had one company, which is uh, like a portal financial portal and the other one was uh the the b2b air product erp uh so um, we basically by growing their personal brands we managed to get the customers for both companies and some of them went really viral like when i say viral i mean like three to five million people from serbia have seen it meaning serbia has like seven million people so, uh, it was in Serbia. So that's why I know that, that, you know, that those are people from Serbia and it was totally different. Like COO was, uh, we asked the CEO, it was a lady. We asked her like, what do you do? She said, I'm the fucking octopus. You should write that <laughs> in my, in my bill. So, uh, we actually added COO and in the brackets, chief octopus officer, you know, like. Those kind of things. And, and the, the, the CEO was the guy who had a, a huge PR background. He's known for, you know, being on the TV and um, talking about giving people financial advices. So we used those things, added more and just distributed on his profile, on, on YouTube as LinkedIn short, as YouTube shorts. And it just blew up. He started to go then on the podcast, on the business podcast and so on and so on. And people started to talk also about that B2B product that was uh, in kind of in a back because they, you know, were always behind like, oh, we need feedback. We need this feature. We need this feature. 
but then like people started to dig about them and the product got in the front and actually they ended up, I found out that like a month ago, they ended up selling up one company and now they're building the product up. So, uh, the portal, they got, they, they sold it. So it's kind of, kind of interesting. And also there was a thing where we went fully ironic. So like I'm hustling hard when I wake up, I work with Australia, then I work with New Zealand, then I start working from Serbia and India. Then in the afternoon, I work with US. One other example that I want to go through is a, a huge company, one of the unicorn now going almost pre-IPO and going to the IPO or to be sold, tech development company called HT Group. And basically when we got, uh, into the company, they got to us inbound. So we were doing a couple of things I'll explain, but the main thing was that they were looking at, uh, Accenture. Accenture is the leader in the space company with, uh, I don't know, hundred thousand people, I think 110,000 people working for them. And I'm mentioning them because all of those companies are measuring the success by how many people they have working inside the companies. So, uh, when I started working with them, it was 300 people in like four months, there were 800 people. That's the speed they were growing with. What the thing was that they were trying to copy Accenture and to do what Accenture is doing now when they are smaller, more flexible, and they can go try out things, uh, and, you know, actually be different by being more flexible. And so we implemented that through the content, work with, uh, with the CEO, the CMO and the team establish early the, some of the basics of the content. Now they have their own marketing team and the content. One thing that we have done, we educated the call marketing sales, uh, C level, and also some of the engineers who are, who are the team leaders about LinkedIn. So how to build a personal brand and how to implement that brand inside, uh, the employer brand. And it got them the huge results. They were focusing only on that and got them the growth of like 800 people. Now, basically there's a joke on LinkedIn that everybody, like 80% of the people that they see in the feed from that industry are working in HTEC. <laughs> you know, it's kind of fu funny, but that's how it goes. Uh, and the thing is the. What I want to emphasize, the CMO was the guy who actually knew what he was doing. And we got the nice fit. He recognized us as somebody who can help him from the start, just generate, uh, the foundation and set up everything for success. He has one strategy, which is open the new market every month, no matter how small it is, no matter if they, if those people have job because they had the funding. So, and they're still doing it. And that's one thing that, uh, that gets them, that gets them going. I mean, we work with now, I think around 70 companies in a short period of time. So there are a lot of stuff that I can, that I can say some of those, uh, I think that I can mention user guiding one of the top 10 startups from, uh, from Turkey. Basically we helped them find out they were looking for who, for which category they should rank for because, uh, their onboarding tool, but they are also no code tool project management tool. People are using it for different purposes. And they were like lost. What should we focus on? Which category are we under? So, uh, luckily they were recording conversations like the customer success was having conversation with the customers, but also the product team from different sides. And what we found out just by listening to the calls and getting uh, a research and into those things is that 
they can rank for all those categories. They are, they are typing six or seven different things when they look for them. So basically the conclusion was, let's build the, uh, the media company. So, and dominate all the categories. Why should we go just for one? And basically uh, it was the hard work. Like I think we were writing <laughs> 50 articles per month at, at once. That's the whole different, different thing. Cause we were using even the AI combine it with the research with all different kind of stuff, but it allowed them to grow. Now they're in, uh, I think in top five in the majority of categories that they are going after in most of them, top three or even number one. And the thing is, it helps them now gather the, it was a series A, now they are gathering the series B. Now they are close to, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's around 2 million in revenue. So uh, growing really well, coming from Turkey, going to the US, and also what, what turns out is to be that uh, not only US, but the South America market is, is great for them. So, uh, yeah, a lot of different stuff that we were doing and it helped us actually position to what and got to what we are doing now, which is kind of a little bit different. We are not doing all those different stuff, but just focusing on, you know, setting up the metrics, creating sort of like, I think we can go and use Chris Walker as a reference, like sort of like R and D department, cause we are coming with hypothesis proving them uh, if they're right or wrong after we we figure out how we are closing demand. So, uh, and basically just one by one, we are working to make it right. And then we go to the next one. And that's how we develop develop the, the company from the marketing side and affecting the revenue. One of the first examples you gave, which I love, is this sort of value add first approach. So you went out and you found these influencers and a lot of these influencers probably didn't necessarily need you to give them a shout out, right? They probably didn't need it because they're already an influencer, but you did it anyway. And I totally understand why you did. You provide value first to get them to potentially give you value back. And from that, then you were able to turn them into podcast guests, which then turned into a whole slew of content that you were able to do with these influencers, which just amplifies your brand and your agency. This has historically worked fantastically well, and it's a very unconventional approach because not a lot of people do this. Yeah, um, just, this just to give, give you a, a one step before that is before we got into that, I didn't know where I was uh, and where we was compared to knowledge and experience to some of the most experienced and people who are, you know, on top of LinkedIn based to where we want to be. So I invited them to learn the background stories. And the first 10 episodes that I ever recorded were interviews when I listen and I see, aha, can I talk about these things? Do have I actually done some of those things? What's the background? Is this similar or no? And after the 10th episodes, uh, I actually started discussing with them on the same level. And it lifts up the whole thing. That's where I'm, I was like, okay, I can actually talk on the same level with those people. Brian is one of those rare CEOs that like believes in the unconventional, approaches things in a very unconventional way when it comes to marketing. So I'd love Brian for you to put your CEO hat on for a second and talk about it from your perspective on what it's like to do unconventional marketing 
and some of the things you've seen work? Well, there are two things that are kind of coming to mind here. The first, uh, I remember when we were going through our, our courtship process together, you and I, James, and uh, we had we'd closed our round of funding and we knew that getting a marketing leader into, into the organ, into the leadership team was like priority number one. And that really forced, right? It forced two things for me. It forced me to get very introspective around like what the type of person was that we were looking for. And then it also forced me to go out and have 50, 60, 70 conversations with marketing leaders. And one of the strong conclusions that I came to through that process was that the best marketers today and going forward are the ones that are very strong in data and creativity, uh, which is very much so in line with kind of you talking about your own strategy and, and some of the examples that you gave. So I think that that, that is kind of like one line of thought that comes and then on the, the LinkedIn piece of it, <laughs> I would say that I didn't really have any choice. I had kind of decided that that James was the guy, and James had some some terms of engagement for for coming on, and one of those terms of engagement was being active on LinkedIn and and doing this podcast as well. I and think there was even a point, Brian, where I said, "I can't take this role, and we're not going to be successful unless you and and at least one other founder is." posting at least once a week on LinkedIn and I think that your I think your initial bargaining position was once a day and then I came <laughs> was back to you and then I came back to you and I was like I could I can commit to once a week um, but it's like it, I wouldn't have done it unless I also kind of thought about it and thought that it made sense and did come to that conclusion and then it doesn't take long to to kick in, right? It's kind of like LinkedIn is one of those places where it feels like there are way more people that are on the platform and consuming content than there are creating content. And there are more and more people that are contributing content every day, uh, but it still feels like a huge imbalance. And relatively quickly, there are just like nuggets and right, those anecdotes, right? We talk all the time about there's so much data out there that's at our fingertips for how the things that we're doing are performing. And we need to like understand all of that data, but we also need to understand the limitations of that data. And part of what fills the gaps for the limitations of the data is like the anecdotal stuff that you hear. Um, and it's like, right, so-and-so mentioned something on a sales call or like a DM comes in from somebody in the industry and, and all of those sorts of things. So I've certainly been fully converted into, into a believer and I'm, and I'm on the ride. I want to bring this kind of full circle back to some of, you know, the MO of really this podcast, which is kind of driving the experience that people have with brands and, you know, some chalk that up to the customer experience, some just chalk it up to brand, but ultimately it all boils down to creating a good environment that you can publicly put out there to the world and also something that the business itself can benefit from. And Manja, I want to ask you just a couple of quick questions to kind of draw this in because I'd love to get your thoughts on some of this. There is a massive amount of automation that exists today. 
and probably to a point where sales and marketing have probably over automated processes and communication to the point where it's saturated the market, uh, where buyers like myself and others just are so sick of it. Right. But automation in very specific areas still works incredibly well when it comes to marketing. And there's also a notion on like the customer experience side and the support side where automation is fearful for brands for that same reason. They think it's going to get in the way. And I would love to get your thoughts. Like there are, there are components of automation that are value add. There are components of automation that are not. And I'd love to know where, where does your mind go when it comes to funky marketing on, on automation? Yeah, it's it's a good question because I I specialized in that for for like two years. I was focused on marketing automation, email marketing, website personalization. Even when you know when you automate how the website will transform based on where the person is coming from. Did they click the ad or they come through the email or they come through the social? You know the whole. We had a few a few tools that allow us to change the whole structure of the website. The hero photo, the hero. Uh, story, the testimonials, they were all different based based on that. And the thing is that when I see, especially now when I look at the like ABM and those kind of stuff, is that people look uh, as automation, as tools, as, as something that, that creates the magic, right? We will just use the automation and it will help us, uh, you know, get to the results. But it doesn't work that way. You need to first do it manually on your own, test it out, see, find out what's actually working, then repeatedly do it, do it until you get to the certain, even, you know, you can go count it in the number of accounts that you close, or you can count it in like 1.5 million in revenue or something like that coming through that channel or through that process. And then you automate it. Then you, when you know that, uh, you know, you have all the perspectives in mind, you know all the things that can happen. You have everything. You saw everything. You eliminated all the things that uh, that can be an obstacle. Then you automate it and you move to building a second thing. So uh, that's kind of the end process when you have everything finished and you add the automation to kind of uh, just keep doing what you have already proven that is working. From that side, yes. When I don't see it working very well is... People abuse the automation, right? And they look at it. I see so many people that messed up like personalization and automatization. You know, it's it's not the same thing. And sure, uh, automation <laughs> in most cases means, even when I was working B2C, means that it's not that I need to draw how you will buy from me. I need to draw the pattern and you will go through it and buy from me. That's not how it goes. I need to get to know the customers, find out all, go reverse engineering, find out how the buyer journey is going. And then basically automation, when we set it up, is here to help people buy in their own way. But we are making sure that, uh, you know, they're finding the right stuff over there that will kind of create the relationship with them in every step of the journey. And automation can help us in that way. So we don't need, I don't know, like, 10 people to manage all of that, but we can have technology built in. But before we get into that, we need to actually, you know, go through the process and do it on our own or dedicate a person who will do it for us. It doesn't matter. 
I want to call out something that you said too, and and that's that you're right. Like automation is is not personalization, and personalization is not autom- automation. But I also want to call out the fact that like personalization isn't just um, high first name changing the name. Yeah, <laughs> that's not personalization. Um, you know, we've been kind of playing around a little bit with personalization, as Brian knows, uh, here at Flip. And one of the things that we, we do is, like, we're a voice company, right? So we provide this Alexa-like experience for for businesses. So why not, like, personalize the voice, put our robot out there, and actually leverage it? So we, we created these fun little videos where our robot is literally talking to these brands instead of, it's, instead of it being me or Brian or Sam. It's our robot personalized talking to these accounts. Um, that's personalization. Uh, it's not like, oh, hey, Nemanja, <laughs> same email for everyone else. <laughs> that's not personalization. So I want to clarify that. And and by the way, what you just unpacked for us with personalization and automation is also, it's relevant across B2B companies or B2C companies. I think B2C companies actually, in, in a lot of ways, probably do this more than they should. They they automate thinking that it's it's a good thing and a good communication touch point where they probably needed to dive a little bit deeper in what the customer really wanted um, versus just sending that communication out. So I, I love the fact that you mentioned that. When we talk about what marketing does in B2C, where automation is much more present in that way, it is that marketing sells, right? In B2C, marketing sales, you don't have a salesperson. Uh, in, in B2B, there is a salesperson. And, uh, you know, but it's because marketing is not doing what marketing should do in that way. And you, you mentioned the buyer's journey and the experience and everything else. Like, you can use marketing to kind of have the seamless experience when they buy come to buy your product because it's technology and there's a lot of companies, a lot of similar products. And buying experience is the one thing that can differentiate, like the thing that you mentioned with the voice, with the robots, those kind of things. And then also, do you need to have three or four people that are kind of creating, all, all of them are creating relationship, actually do all their marketing, then BDR, then the AI comes to kind of close the deal, the person that you don't know. So th- those kind of things, I think it's, uh, it's extremely important to, to have in mind and to focus on the buyer. How would they feel that we are different and how that's different is good for them? We always like to ask our guests, Nemanja, a couple of weird off-the-wall questions that have nothing to do with the topic. So we're going to do that now. We talk a lot on this podcast about really amazing experiences that people have or really bad ones. So I'd love for you to unpack an experience that you've recently had, positive or bad, with a brand. You don't necessarily have to mention the brand if you don't want to, but we're all about mentioning them if you if oh you yeah I, I can i can say one i don't know if it's good or bad i think it's a mix of both but but okay. I, I i love the brand more because of the experience i would say that i can i can name the brand it's it's all good because uh, uh, i did all the commenting in public so it's it's metadata and i love their branding how they are different how they are communicating but one message was uh was showing in my feed every single morning when i wake up for three months or even more. And, and I was like, I'm working on those stuff as well. So, you know, I know that they don't look at the frequency. And I'm like, I wrote a comment. Like, guys, maybe you want to check the frequency of this one. I'm seeing it every morning. 
you know, nobody answered because they don't look at the comments on the ads. So uh, after a couple of months, they had a post and somebody or somebody else had a post about, you know, the frequency and those kind of things. And I said, man, I still seeing the ad, you know, that's, that's funny. Uh, so uh, I mentioned them and I said, because they were like an example of metadata as a good one. I said, uh, look, they are great, but maybe they can start thinking about the frequency. So uh, they answered. Uh, it was like, sorry, we just saw it, now it's fixed, you know, like that. And then I basically screenshotted that and I added, uh, you know, as a post and I gave the background story and everything. And what's funny thing is that the CMO, uh, the name is not in my on my mind right Jason. now, Jason, or it was the, yeah. the other guy, doesn't matter. But one of one of them added a comment, and, and like, the, the crying thing, like it happens, we fucked up, you know, sometimes we, for, <laughs> for, we forget about things, we are humans, you know, those kind of stuff. And the whole team of metadata came to the post, engage, share all, all different stuff, you know, and it's kind of like the hug at the end, you know, yeah. so it felt like that. And they created that, that thing. It wasn't me. I just saw. Some of the things that bother me, I reached out, uh, and they go, went all the way to create that kind of experience about the simple thing that they forgot to look for. I have a very similar experience with, with Drift. Drift was showing me like the top five CMO guide or something like that for, I, I'm not kidding you. I was getting this thing for like th four or five years, the same ad. It is one of those things that makes you think that they're just like. Like the company's just not really on top of what they're doing. Exactly. Well, I don't even know if I don't even know if I would chalk it up to that. I would say more so like they're they're looking at the vanity metrics more than they're looking at the things that probably really matter. Like just looking at like Brian, I just sent you some stuff yesterday on what what I would consider vanity metrics, but they're a pulse of being able to see like how well is this performing based on industry standard. And I think more often than not. The paid realm of, of of marketing gets caught into into that and looking at those vanity metrics of like, what is our cost per click? What is our impressions look like on these ads? All that matters in the grand scheme of things in the aggregate. Ultimately, if it's not like actually converting people, and sometimes it's tough to tie the attribution back to that exact ad which is probably why drift and metadata got caught in that. <laughs> but, but let me, let me, let me give you just, uh, just a different perspective on the drift. Cause I have a positive experience with them. Cause like back in the days, they, when they, uh, created the category, right. Conversational marketing, they published the book. Actually it's a conversational thing. If they created the category or, or they did something else, but anyway, that's how it was presented. We bought a book. Like the, I was the director of operation in the agency, the CEO bought a book. Uh, and the thing is they shipped it out to Serbia all the way from the U S and the two weeks after that, the postman came and he said, there is one more package, one more book for you from drift. So we didn't order anything. And it's, it was actually a gift that they sent to everybody who bought conversational marketing. And it was things that don't scale. A small book of 40 things that they have done to build a hyper growth company. It's the book that I gave to every new employee that came to the agency to look out so, so they can start thinking and start seeing the big picture. 
you know, and there I, like I saw that. that's the value, you know, when nobody expects anything from you, you just give them additional value and it's something that actually helped you build your company. What a great way to end the podcast. That's awesome. Manja, thank you so much for joining the Spamming Zero podcast today. Thank you guys for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Don't forget to subscribe. Every week we have one of these episodes. And stay tuned because we got some big surprises in 2023 that you're going to love. Um, so stay tuned for that. And we'll see you each and every week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.